Surfacing by Jaden Gregg. There is so much beneath the surface of what we are being told, like cream rising to the top of milk, like layers in the ocean, like light filtering in only through the top. The rest is inky darkness, so much life and truth swirling beneath the surface. Under everyone's face, there's blood and nerves and vessels. Under everyone's breath are whispered things that carry lightly in the wind. Under clothes are body parts, soft and fleshy and covered like vegetables in an underground cellar. There's so much beneath the surface. This is the covering, the concealment, the layer of ice on a frozen pond, the hard covering of creme brulee the grass growing over Alice's fantastical rabbit hole, and the tough skin growing over the fruit of knowledge. Did you hear? This is your Johnson County Library Insider. And now, our monthly must-knows. Here's the episode's call number. 811, which is where you'll find the library's poetry collection. We present your word of the month. Sejura, which means a break or a pause in the middle of a line of verse, much like how listening to the Did You Hear podcast is a break or a pause in the middle of your day. Here are numbers you should know. 4,463, which is the number of volumes in the library's poetry collection. This includes 3,421 volumes in adults, 90 for teens, and 952 for children. And it's a number that's changing all the time. 103 of those were added just in 2021. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We've made it to another episode of Did You Hear, the podcast for the Johnson County Library. And this month, there's a lady in the host chair. It's <laughs> it's Shannon from Central, and I am here <laughs> with the rest of the podcast crew um, this month. We're going to be discussing all things poetry and when we were planning this episode um, to connect with that poetry theme, I asked everyone if they would be willing to write and share a haiku with us as part of their their introductions. We haven't shared, um, so I don't know if anyone listened to me uh, with this idea or not, but let's go around and introduce yourselves and remind us all who you are and maybe share a little haiku. So... Uh, Dave, do you want to go first? Oh, no. Yes, you're first. first. I just remember that we had a haiku, and like Let's I'm scrambling it. to find where my haiku is. Oh, no. Can I steal Dave's haiku? Oh. <laughs> I, I could jump in oh. if you need to find yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charles, please, it. save us all. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Charles, uh, everybody. You may remember me as the previous host. Glad not to, not to be the host on this episode. <laughs> um <laughs> My, my haiku uh, is library-themed, and it goes as follows. A child sits alone, reading their favorite books, surrounded by friends. Oh. Yes, the books are our friends, for sure. Yes. Yep. <laughs> did, mm -hmm. did anyone else write a haiku? <laughs> I did. It's a lazy haiku, though. I have to warn you. <laughs> but I did write one. I remember 20 minutes before the segment, I have to write yes. a haiku. Yeah, okay. let's hear it, Jack. Let's do it. Okay. Writing haikus is hard. <laughs> Why not plagiarize? Petals are wet like that. <laughs> you know, for last minute work, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> the best I can do on short notice. Now, Brian, did you, um, you're from the makerspace. Did you 3D print us a haiku or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm spinning uh, the haiku right in front of me. It's a 3D print. You guys can't see it, but just appreciate it, I, I think, um, as an object in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, no, I did not no. <laughs> get the haiku assignment. Sorry. <laughs> 
Well, I, I did find my haiku. I'm so happy. It just dawned on me that I, I put it in our podcast theme documents where we collect all of our uh, monthly themes. And Smart. so um, before I read it, I will go ahead and tease the audience and remind everyone that we solicited haikus from patrons on Facebook. And so later on, uh, to end the episode, I think it would be good to return and, and read some of those, if that's all right with you all. Oh, please. And and now I'd like to present <laughs> a poem I, I titled Pondering Old School Rap, Hospice, and Immortality. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm so, I, I can't hardly wait. <laughs> and and, and my, my school is uh, spelled... S-K-O-O-L. So you know that this is this is legit. Mm. Okay. Old school rap ain't dead. Least that's what my mother said. Put yourself to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, I had, love it. I had visions of that just killing, but that killed me. And oh. my reputation. You know what? We survived. We're we're gonna we're gonna do it. So when I suggested this little assignment in the the planning meeting, I was a little anxious about it because you know writing and sharing your own um, haiku might not be everyone's cup of tea. But I quickly learned that um, I did not need to worry because we have a crew of writers and English majors and forensic poetry champions and. I myself am none of those things. <laughs> none, of, none of those things apply to me. So um, when I sat down to try and write a haiku, everything was kind of going a certain direction. So, so this is uh, what I ended up with. It was writing haiku seems like taking something so small and making it deep. <laughs> everything just takes this little, this little moment and gives it this huge importance. <laughs> it felt like when I was writing haiku. So, wow. so yeah, poetry, that's the theme this month. And we wanted to, to talk about it for a couple of different reasons. Um, first, April was nat- National Poetry Month. So right, wanted, and good closure, right? Yeah, we wanted to look back and see what happened at the library to celebrate poetry. Um, but sure. also, poetry will not be confined just to the month of April. It, it right. refuses. It says no. <laughs> uh, and so there are still poetry events coming up that we wanted to share with everyone. So, Jack, uh, last month you talked about um, the Walk and Read program, which was for some of our younger patrons. But... The library just wrapped up um, an immersive poetry uh, experience that was very similar for um, some of our older patrons. Uh, That's right. I had a nice conversation with Cassandra Gillig over at Leewood Pioneer. Uh, Take a listen, folks. Okay, guys. So I am joined by Cassandra Gillig, who is an adult services at, as we call it now, instead of info specialist at the Leewood Pioneer Library. How are you today, Cassandra? Hello, Jack. I am fantastic today. So excited to be here to chat about the Poetry Walk. Very fun stuff. Very, very fun stuff. I saw it for the first time uh, right as it was actually going down in Franklin Park. So for those folks who don't um, know, uh, it had its first sort of debut over in Franklin Park, and then it shut down for a couple of days, right? But then we're starting it back up. Yes. Um, yeah, it had a great showing. I, I imagine people were very upset to see it come down. Probably a, a crowd of, of weeping <laughs> uh, families. <laughs> That's what it looked like. I was there on the very last day as the sun was going down. Uh, so it did uh-huh. look like people were just like visibly like upset. But yeah, it's good. The, the sunset will do that to people, though. So Yeah, but I realized the other park's not that far away, so they can just go to the new park. I guess. <laughs> it's true. That's on them. Okay, so uh, I do have some actual questions. So my first actual question is like, mm-hmm. how did the poetry walk come apart? Uh, come about, right? So like, I was involved a little bit in help setting it up, but I came on after the idea had already been formed. Yeah, uh, so the idea came from Leewood Page, Catherine Strayhall, who is one of my favorite coworkers, uh, and also someone who's been involved in library programs since she was a teenager. She was uh, an elementary teen or 
teen literary magazine um, and published a lot with Elementia and then uh, came on as a page a couple of years ago at Leewood. Um, so she had the idea to create a more immersive poetry experience for April, which is National Poetry Month and a month that we normally take to celebrate verse in all its different forms. So uh, she had that idea, gave it to Hannah Jane Weber, who also works at Leewood in youth services and has been involved in our lovely walk and read program that's been going since, um, well, it's kind of like a longstanding library program, but has uh, really been having a great tenure during the uh, quarantine and just giving people the opportunity to be out and about and uh, experience literature. So a great constellation of minds brought us here. Obviously you jumped on board. Uh, Helen Hokinson, our local writers librarian, jumped on Jen Taylor and Dave Carson from our communications experience team. I think that's what CX stands for. <laughs> I think that's um, what it's called. Yeah. And this, of course, this right. is, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're great with the communications experience. So, yeah, we had a solid team, but great idea from Catherine Strayhall. That's good. And had you been involved in the sort of long-standing walk and read program? It's targeted more towards like small kids. I had not. I was very excited to get involved. I work um, with our teen and adult writing programs primarily. So I don't get a lot of experience with uh, young children's literature. Uh, so we were definitely excited to create something that uses that same format for a slightly older crowd. Sure. Uh, so one thing I think is a really cool feature of this uh you'll see so you'll i guess we should you know this is uh, very much not a visual medium but we can sort of set the scene for people right so these mm -hmm. poems are displayed on big boards there are qr codes folks can scan so they can listen to the poets like read and so on but there's also this like lovely visual art mm -hmm. that comes to us i think some of it where does that art come from i know some comes from elementia yeah, so some comes from Elementia. A lot of the, uh, if you are in the park looking at the signs, the what we call rider art at the bottom is all pulled from local teen artists, which is uh, fantastic work. And then um, some of the signs have Elementia art and some of the signs have lovely artwork from iStockphoto.com shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, realize that. <laughs> yeah, just uh, setting the mood, you know, finding what feels right. Uh, and just a group of, we should do one of just like a group of doctors, just like all like staring and like looking photogenic uh, or something. I was tempted, but it <laughs> it didn't feel right. So I, I'll uh, maybe bring it back for next time. Fair enough. And what was what was the process like of sort of pairing that like incredible elementary art and also incredible iStockphoto.com art with sort of the poetry pieces we had? Yeah, a lot of that elementary art was picked by Hannah Jane, um, who I mentioned earlier, and she did a great job of kind of finding pieces that either originally appeared with the writing. So the teens who had designed and laid out the magazine for whichever issue of elementary that was like had already kind of sensed a connection between those pieces of art or uh, making new pairings just by going through past issues. We published so much art in the magazine, you know, um, probably like 30 artists every year. So it's it's cool to see their art uh, get a new yeah. existence. Um, but yeah, a, a fun experience of, you know, creating a new avenue of interpretation that also tries to uh, respect the initial vision of the piece of writing. It's a tricky Definitely. and satisfying task. Yeah. When I've done, I, I think I, well, I know I did like a little like lit mag like thing for my college and we had something uh -huh. similar where we pair the art with the poetry. And it was just interesting because it's like, you know, poetry is very like subjective sometimes and very focused on like, what is the feeling of this poem and the same for visual art and then put them both uh -huh. together. And it's like, I almost can't, there definitely is a process that you come out feeling like this poem should be paired with this artwork, but I can't describe what that process is myself. Like I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, it's very intuitive, but also you have this great sense of um, authority and responsibility over the work, right? That you you pair it in a way that's like respectful, but also can potentially create a new avenue for understanding. And that gets to be tricky. And that's something our elementary teens think a lot about as we work through the magazine, too. Definitely. So these beautiful signs are available in it's South Lake Park, right? Until April 26th. Yes. Located yeah. extremely close to the Central Resource Library, I have heard. So go take a gander. Have a blast. 
for all you central resource folks out there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or travel to it. It's worth it. Yeah. Uh, what? So, I mean, yeah, what are we doing with these signs once we take them down? I know there's been some, I, it's not, it's not nailed down yet, is it? Yeah. Um, I think that they will have a new life at some point. So we encourage patrons, uh, if you can't make the Poetry Rock, to stay posted because they may um, pop up sometime in the fall or at another library function, perhaps outside of your local library branch. Um, we're hoping to, to keep this poetry circulating in the community. Totally. And what's what's been the feedback from the community so far to the extent that we received it? Like, I know when I went out there, you just like saw people like looking at the signs and like people seem to be enjoying themselves. I didn't notice anyone like uh, using the like QR code feature or anything. It was also like a beautiful day outside, though. So I guess uh -huh. yeah, folks were also focused on other things like the kids are on the jungle gym. I don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. I was out there and kind of chatted with some people we're looking at things and we've gotten some great messages through our uh, library email and social media just people i think enjoying having something to do outside since the weather's finally getting nicer and um who doesn't want a new experience right now i know i would do anything to, to have something slightly different happen in my life so right. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Sounds good, you know? <laughs> for those out there that are desperate to do absolutely anything different, <laughs> we've the got poetry it. walk is here for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So just one final question. I guess we call it the bonus question. I mean, mm -hmm. I love bad poetry. I've never felt uh -huh. like I understood enough about good poetry to really appreciate it, but I feel like I can appreciate a good bad poem. Do you have a favorite bad poem? A favorite bad poem... Um, it's all right if you don't. I have maybe least favorite bad poems. Um, my favorite bad poems are probably poems I have written. Um, I would say that's that's probably it. But I think my favorite things are not bad. They are good. And that's why they're my favorite. For me, it's true. I don't know. So I'll, I'll throw <laughs> mine out there. Like famous old poem, 1800s. I think it's called the tragedy of the Tay Bridge collapse disaster. It's like an okay. ode to a collapsing bridge. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It has automatopoeia. It shouldn't be in there. It has, it's wild. I recommend everyone look it up. It's by some like Scottish guy. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah. I don't know if For it's good reason. or bad, but it's something. <laughs> Can't wait to look it up. For some reason, as you were talking, I thought of, did you ever read in college the poem Goblin Market? No. What is that? <laughs> Goblin Market is a like 19th century um, poem about these women who go to a, a market <laughs> that has goblins at it. Ah. Um, a classic of literature. I highly recommend. The goblins are popping. The market's going on. <laughs> People are having a wild experience. Um, but that poem is not bad. It's just good. I can only recommend Goblin Market. Gotcha. I will have to check that out. Hopefully JCL has that in its collection. Yeah, I think uh, Christina Rossetti. Christina Rossetti. Mm -hmm. And probably no relation yeah. to the film. Or it's Trolls, isn't it? Trolls is about goblins, or Trolls 2 is. Trolls. Um, yeah, confusingly not about trolls, but actually about goblins. Yeah, is there a Trolls 1? There is. It's not related, <laughs> and it is about trolls. I only know of the second Trolls. <laughs> it's coasting off the success and name recognition of Trolls 1 is what was happening there. Yeah. <laughs> trolls right. 1 is a prequel. Cool. It's pretty cool. So I feel like we're leaving folks with some good recommendations. Cassandra, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, get out there. No problem. Walk. Go take a walk, please. Read poetry. Living Redwood by Angela Clem. A giant, a living freak of nature, a redwood. Tall, upstanding, huge, strong, ancient, at least 2,400 years old. People look at it in wonder. Wow, amazing, they say. And I agree, but I don't. 
I think it's unbelievable and amazing too, but I think that because I wonder. I wonder how a simple tree, so inferior, others tell me, to mankind, could go on when it sees civilization grow around it, killing its family, using its friends, relatives, even its own boughs and branches for homes or buildings. Yet it keeps on going. A thousand years ago, it might have thought just one more year, one more year of torture and sadness, but its perseverance is big and mighty just like itself. I myself can barely live 12 years, let alone 2,400. It's so hard when you see species, breeds of cruelty making you feel small, smaller, smaller, until you don't exist. Hey, hey, everybody, we're back. Hope you enjoyed hey. that. What's up? <laughs> we're all here, said, hey, hey. still here. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, that was a little bit about the background of the poetry walk and what has been happening so far. But if you missed the walk, you couldn't come in in person. Uh, that content still lives on in the cloud. Yeah. And we have here Dave Carson to share a little bit about the future of cloud-based poetry in the library. Well, yeah, you know, the, the fun part um, of, uh, uh, you know, the, the events that we do, they're always collaborations and there's so many different little moving parts. And Jack, I know you, you worked with uh, folks to get poetry recorded. You even recorded some of the poetry yourself. And uh, I was involved. Uh, my job was to... Um, create little QR codes that you could scan with your phone on these different signs. You go sign to sign, you could point your phone at the QR code, and it would send you somewhere. Well, that place that we sent you is YouTube, and what we did was we took the Elementia artwork that was paired with each individual poem and we created a video. So when you're on the poetry walk, you point at the QR code, it pulls up this video and you can listen to the poem while pondering some wonderful art. And so um, that can be found at, whoa. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> I heard an O. <laughs> okay, that the was O me. signify. Something? Yeah, oh, it just it just started playing on its own. But uh, so it's uh, <laughs> youtube.com slash Joko Library. When you get there, the top ribbon of navigation at the at the um, at the top <laughs> that's repetitive uh, is uh, you know it says home videos, and the third one is playlist. So if you click the playlist, you'll see that Poetry Walk is one of our playlists, and there are thirty five different. Um, artists that did recordings and what we've done in post-editing is uh we've sprinkled some of these wonderful uh poets recordings throughout this podcast episode um so it's a kind of nice way to have some closure to a really wonderful event and the really cool thing about poetry walk is that the parks loved it and they developed park envy. There were parks yes. that said, why can't we do this? Can we do this? And uh, it's so nice to know that this will live on. And uh, one way it's going to live on is through YouTube. And we'll return next year with, uh, you know, more uh, poetry walks. Um, but for – and here's how, here's how you do a transition. For other programming <laughs> – um, we're going to talk to Shannon because you have some uh, interesting events, event or events, I guess you'll tell us, yeah. that uh, people should take note of. So, yes, I spoke with Lisa Allen, who's one of our librarians who's been a part of putting together. Um, you know, I started out referring to it as just an event, but it turns out it's a whole week of events with poet Tracy Brimhall that's happening in May. Uh, and it just sounds like an amazing um, event, plural, uh, and opportunity uh, for patrons. So take a listen. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this, is, this is Lisa. I'm here with Lisa from the library. And Lisa, why don't you tell us who you are and, and what your role is with the library? Sure. I'm Lisa Allen. Thank you for having me. Um, I am a part-time adult services specialist at the Monticello and DeSoto branches. And I also work within the library on the local writers committee. 
And we really wanted to talk to you this month because you have a poetry event coming up. So why don't you tell us what that's all about? Yeah, we're really excited to have Tracy Brimhall coming to Johnson County Library in May. And I think part of what's really cool is that when we had to take programming online because of COVID and the the changes of not being able to all be together, we actually took a program that we used to have in person one night a month and we turned it into three programs. So the, the the local authors who have agreed to come and do this program actually... Um, do something on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, and then a Saturday morning. So Tracy Brimhall will, on May 11th, which is a Tuesday, she will do a poetry reading and talk about her most recent poetry collection. On Wednesday night, she will expand on that to do a craft talk, which is really cool because you kind of get a behind the, the scenes peek as to what makes her tick as a poet and as a writer. And then on Saturday, she will expand on that even further and have an interactive workshop with attendees that will last for two hours. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a great opportunity for patrons. So what uh, made you want to bring that sort of event to our patrons? You know, before um, we had to change everything up, we had started a series that was kind of an in-conversation series and it was once a month. And we were looking for local authors who wanted to not just come and read their work, but to have something that was interactive with someone else. So um, like there was one time where there were two poets in conversation and they had read each other's work and asked each other questions about those things. Mm -hmm. Other things we really wanted to do were to bring a a writer who had a particular interest in something and pair them up with a subject matter expert so that they could talk about those things so that it kind of opened up their work in a way that maybe just reading it alone wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so just as the local writers committee was talking about, you know, different ways we could do things, it just kind of expanded into this. Well, you know, we have this platform now, which is online and we can welcome many more people in a virtual way. And when we approached local authors, they were really excited to be able to offer things in different capacities. So it kind of just evolved into this three programs instead of one. Yeah. The feedback that I've heard is that it's been really great for patrons because you don't have to come to one. You don't have to come to all three. You can come to one or all three Mm -hmm. Um, and you can kind of drop in and drop out and, and, and be as involved as you want to, but it's been really great so far. And, and I've been to some other of Tracy's programming online and she's a fantastic teacher. So I'm excited to see what she's going to do this coming month. Yeah, me too. So from the library's perspective, uh, what goes into putting together an event like this? How long does it take to plan? And well, like anything else, you know, you have to be, you have to be, kind of aware of, of timing. So we start brainstorming and thinking about authors that we want to approach many months in advance so that we can leave enough time to reach out to them, talk to them, see if it's something that they're interested in. And then we work as a committee to say, you know, I'm interested in this author and someone else might be interested in another author. So we try to, we try to bring in a balanced group of authors Um, We've had two back-to-back poets, but we don't always have poets. We had Annie Knigendorf this past past schedule who talked about hidden places in Kansas City that are cool to explore. And we had Rebecca Tostig, who writes nonfiction about being a differently abled person and how that's affected her life and her writing. So the process starts with a lot of brainstorming and reaching out. And then once it gets past that, we, we work with each author to ask, what are you most interested in? What are you most passionate about? Is there someone you would like to be in conversation with? And we just help flesh out those, those descriptions so that they can be printed in the guide or online and so that patrons know what to expect. Um, and then past that, we've been trying to work with each author to do a BiblioCommons list because mm-hmm. each author has been inspired by other work, right? And that other work a lot of times is in our collection. And so we want to give that opportunity to patrons to, to kind of go beyond just that individual writer's work. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, the training of some of them 
are really familiar with Zoom and on 24 and some aren't. So there's some training there. So just like all of us, right? Exactly. So yeah. it's not I mean it's it's I find it to be really fun and interesting work. Um but there can be a lot of pieces to put together like anything else when you work on programming, I think. Oh, for sure. Well, it sounds like an amazing opportunity for patrons and it sounds like you've put together some very cool things. So why don't you tell us uh, one more time when the event is and, and how patrons can attend? Yeah. So Tracy Brimhall is going to be joining us for three events the week of May 11th. So on Tuesday evening of May 11th from 630 to 730, she will do a poetry reading um, of her most recent collection. And something tells me she'll probably pull in some other work, but I don't know for sure. I, we don't bet <laughs> the work that they're going to read, but, um, she, I just want to interject here that Tracy is also an essayist and she has won awards for fiction and she's also written a children's book. Oh, wow. I would encourage patrons who think that maybe because it's we talk about poetry a lot in the description that they wouldn't maybe resonate with that. Um, I want to encourage him to maybe give her a try because she is so talented in all of these different genres. So anyway, back to this. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. She'll be, doing, um, she'll be doing a reading on Tuesday, May 11th on Wednesday, May 12th from six 30 to seven 30. She will do a craft talk where she kind of digs into the writing of those poems and kind of her process and, and what all that means to her. And then on Saturday, May 15th, now this changes a little bit. The first two are in the evening. The Saturday workshop is in the morning from nine <laughs> until 11. And because that goes two hours, it can be interactive. And because it's on zoom, you know, it, it that's another reason it can be interactive. So, um, what she's going to do is she's going to expand on that craft talk and talk about memory and in the love poem and mm-hmm. elegy. So she's going to be talking a lot about love and death and, and working through grief and that kind of thing and how that shows up in someone's work. So I would encourage people who want to write poetry or do write poetry, or even people who just want to write about their own personal grief or how they look at love or how they, how they, you know, um, work through that on a personal level, if they want to come and learn about how writing can maybe help them do that to process it a little bit, I think this might be worthwhile for them as well. Well, that's beautiful and amazing. And I can't wait to see how it all goes. So thank you so much, Lisa, for your time. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. The rain is immediate and collects in every pore like blood clots. For this moment, coiled, small, a child's figure shaking sleep, I move. Pulsing water smudges the dented car hood three blocks down and there is a caution to both of our actions. The robins on the power line clench the wire as if it were a thread of music mute as man's grip to knife handles, balancing acts of ribbon and talon and feathered breast, and I'm forced to ask myself what an electric current must feel when running through the body, or the rain as it cradles a grass carpet, or thick sheets that strangle me, or better yet, this is the chrysalis I am caught in. I murmur dreams through silk envelopes, born again as the chill of an autumn morning. All I know is that my fear can breathe. All I know is the word we use for this kind of dying runs my tongue with needles. Sometimes I forget things stop happening after they stop happening. An earthworm brought to topsoil by a wad of spit. Broadcasted lights on the empty stadiums. Snow falling parallel to the upturned bucket of moon. How my chest softens with the slowing of hands or heartbeats. The robin positions its beak into the dirt and begins knocking. Earthen doors collapse and the worm appears, allotting a moment's glimpse at the sky for what it really is, a collection of aimless directions and shelled flight patterns. Death has visited me in many ways, the most often as shadows, a stillness. Rain dampens everything into a lullaby like a diluted memory. The robins are again feverish upon the power line, and I see myself finally stumbling through an endless tunnel of light. The body 
does not forget a thing like this. Brian, you're uh, with the Makerspace, and um, when thinking about how we could include you, I think we had the idea that visual art is like visual poetry. So what did you do this past month? Well, we, we had an interesting project that we um, uh, I wanted to talk about. So yeah, we kind of crammed it in here uh, to the poetry. <laughs> it works, theme. though. It works. Yeah, uh, and it, it is an interesting project. We had a uh, someone contact us uh, wanting to th- uh, 3D print a statistic. Um, so when you kind of think about that, you have, you have it's particularly the COVID death stat. So it's a, a graph that has a bell curve to it. And we had a, an artist contact us wanting to 3D print that and revolve it and basically make a musical instrument out of that uh, so you have the 3D print. He's making a cast of that and casting porcelain and making a bell. So this is the interview with Jason Lips uh, about that process. With me today is Jason Lips, an artist, teacher, and a newly published author of a comics collection, Denim Rider and Other Stories. Jason, would you just uh, maybe say a few words about yourself? I teach high school art and art history here in Kansas City and uh, try to uh, remain pretty active as an artist. Um, my my main focus these days is creating comics, but my background is in ceramics. I got my undergraduate uh, degree in ceramics at the Kansas City Art Institute and a master's degree uh, in ceramics as well. And um, uh, despite the fact that my own artistic focus these days is on comics, my primary teaching focus is on ceramics. That's that's the majority of what I do. Okay. Well, thanks. Well, this month, uh, our theme for the podcast is poetry. So I, I kind of crammed visual art into the poetry theme because uh, it's, it's visual poetry. Um, <laughs> so a little bit of background. You contacted the library about this project you wanted to do, creating a, a mold from a statistic, particularly the the COVID death curve statistic, you uh, asked about that, and you know we kind of went through just the technical aspects of creating a a design file from that statistic, and then rotating it into a three D model. And you want to talk a little bit about how how that came about? Yeah, sure. So for years, I've been uh, like I said, I teach ceramics uh, to high school students here in Kansas City. And one of the things I always teach them is how to build a coil pot. And I don't know how it started exactly, but years ago, I got um, really fascinated by this idea that the form of a coil pot could somehow not be just arbitrary and not just decorative, but that the contour of the pot could somehow contain information. And I, I gave this uh, this assignment to students uh, a couple of years ago, and it, it worked really well, and they got into it. So, um, for example, I I explained how I could take the, the the line of the river that ran through my hometown and use that to you know create a profile, and I we would cut these out of cardboard or wood and use that to create the the edge of a coil pot and other people did uh, you know various types of borders u.s mexico border uh, you know things like that lines that were somehow significant to them and so it, it would at one glance just look like a beautiful pot but it actually would kind of contain information in its form so that, those ideas kind of inc- were incubating in me for years and then in the last year or so with constantly <laughs> monitoring COVID infection rate graphs and COVID death rate graphs, it dawned on me while looking at the, the U.S. COVID death graph that if if one were to revolve it, the edge of it kind of looked like a pot. And honestly, something urn-like, which with <laughs> all of the death uh, involved in the pandemic, you know, seemed kind of beautiful and, and darkly poetic to me. So this year, when I was ready to teach coil building, I, I talked about this idea once again. And I, 
uh, I started building a coil pot based on the U.S. COVID deaths from March 1st of 2020. And uh, I cut it off because you just have to cut it off somewhere, right? I cut it off at uh, Inauguration Day because uh, that had just happened and it, ha- it just coincided with the beginning of me teaching them how to make coil pots out of clay. So it made sense. So it was like sort of, you know, this is the U.S. COVID death graph during the Trump presidency. And so I built one out of clay and I was really happy with it. And then I flipped the pot over and it was pretty large. It's probably the original pots, maybe a 12 inches, 12 and a half inches tall. I flipped it over to sand it and clean it up. And when I flipped it over, I realized it resembled a bell. Because it's really narrow at the at the the base of it, it has this kind of elevated foot that marks the early days of the pandemic, and then it sort of balloons out as as the deaths rose. Um, and so when I flipped it over, it was opposite, right? It had a really narrow top and a, and a nice bell shaped volume, and that was interesting to me, right? And it wasn't something I foresaw, and it also was reminiscent of uh, Buddhist stupas, which is a shrine uh, to the Buddha's body. Initially, stupas. You know, there are these large earthen mounds that contained the ashes of the Buddha. So that was another way, another like level of meaning, perhaps, in which it was connecting to death and remembrance and maybe spiritual practice and things like this. And so at that point, I thought, oh, I want to make bells. (laughs) I want to make bells out of the shape. And I knew I couldn't with the processes I have available in my ceramic studio, I couldn't capture that kind of detail at a uh, that the curve presented at a small handheld scale. And so that's when I thought about 3D printing and I was familiar with the makerspace at Johnson County Library. I'd utilized it in the past for personal projects. And I thought, okay, I'm going to reach out to them with this line, basically, and this idea and see if they can help me, you know, revolve this form, revolve this line and produce a detailed uh, 3D print of that that bell shape. Yeah, and that's, and, yeah, that's yeah. interesting that you talk about a coil pot at the beginning, because I, I, uh, I mean, when you're 3D printing something, you are stacking layers of plastic on top of each other. It's kind of similar to a, a coil pot. So I didn't really... Yeah think about that connection until you mentioned the coil pot thing. Yeah. So you, you sent us uh, that statistic, we've revolved it, created a 3d model, and then you took that positive 3d printed shape, made a negative mold shape, right. And did a slip cast and created the bells. Uh, and I, I first, my first thought, yeah, that's, that's a really morbid project. But then as I kind of thought about it, I also, the, the, the bell curve or the death curve, it's, it, it is a, like a natural thing to pandemics and things. It, it curve is never just going to go up exponentially, never end. There's a, there's an end to it and it will come back down. So yeah, and that, uh, there is. Know, yeah. And that, <laughs> and so that, uh, that idea that the curve would come back down factored into the project too, because as much as I want the curve to to go back down, um, at a certain point, it wouldn't resemble a pot anymore, right? So I had to, I kind of had to cut it off at this particular place. And now, if I was actually just looking at the curve today, and now that it's coming back down, it it no longer resembles that 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 bell shape or that urn or vase shape. And so it could be interesting to explore it again. I'm so I've yeah I've been slip casting these in porcelain and I'm just starting to get some out of the kiln and I'm playing around with different glazes and what I'm you know the the idea and I, I don't know where it will end but the idea is that in some way a song for the dead you know could be played right like a hopefully a kind of beautiful you know bell chime song for the dead and I'm not sure where this will go. Um, I have found already that the, you know, I can control how thick the porcelain is. And so the thinner the porcelain, the higher the pitch, uh, the thicker, the more dull uh, the sound. So there is a little bit of control in designing the instrument. Um, I'm not a musician, uh, so I'm not sure where it's going to go. But I have been talking to some friends who are musicians and, you know, it could materialize into some sort of performance or just re, you know remain a kind of like idea right a, a remembrance of sorts sure. yeah. yeah and i'll and i'll put in some of the sounds of the the death bells uh that you've sent me and put them at the end of this interview maybe and maybe we'll uh hear back from you if there's an, a musician that starts to maybe get us inspired by this project and 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 will play a remembrance yeah. song yeah totally Forgotten memory. 
I can't remember why pink ice cream smells of lakes and trips to grandma's house. I have no memory of cherry chocolate chunk ice cream melting in my mouth, but sometimes I lick my fingers just to make sure I've gotten the last drops. Uh, so next we have Charles, uh, more auditory stuff, right? Uh, new letters on the air. Yeah. Yeah. And actually your, your piece kind of ties in well to that because of that musical performance aspect. Um, I spoke with Angela Elam this month, the host of new letters on the air through KCUR a little bit about the history of the program, uh, from its origins as a combination art form of spoken word, um, literary readings combined with music to now what it is in the the current day of more like an interview based with with authors and poets and uh we had a we had an interesting conversation about the history of her her time with the program take a listen Today, I have the privilege of having a conversation with Angela Elam, the host and producer of New Letters on the Air. Angela, why don't you tell us all a little bit more about your background and New Letters on the Air for anyone who might not be familiar with the program? Sure. New Letters on the Air is the longest running, continuously broadcast public radio literary show in the country. Um, and st since we haven't missed a beat, even during this COVID time, uh, we, we still hold that distinction. And it was begun in 1977, back when David and Judy Ray worked with New Letters Magazine. And in the beginning, it had a lot to do with poetry. It was more about poetry and performance and a little tiny bit of interviews. And then as it developed over time, by the time they got into the 80s and Rebecca Preston became... Uh, the producer of it, she was very interested in doing the interviews. And so it started going towards more doing interviews, but still maintaining readings throughout the show. So right. it's a matter of talk and reading. So it still had that performance thing, but less about doing it live. I picked it up in 1996 and I felt really like it was destined to be my job because when I had worked for public radio at the University of Georgia, I worked for the radio station, but I worked with the literary magazine, the Georgia Review. And so I had gotten very involved with, with doing literary programming while I was there. And so when this job came along, I, I knew it was my job, you know, because it involved all the things that I loved as an undergraduate. I was an English major. Um, I like to write fiction, but I really got into playwriting and that, in fact, I, I got my MFA in playwriting. Mm. But when you think about it, interviewing in some ways is like playwriting because you're dealing with dialogue, which, sure. you know, is what plays are made of. And I am such a curious person. You could take that two ways and it goes two ways, but I am very <laughs> curious about people. You know, I just, I love hearing people's stories and at the heart of, of all good literature is a story that grabs you, a story that's universal. So you should see our archives. I mean, all these writers that we've interviewed and recorded since 1977, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And a lot of these people are gone now. They've died, you know, so we have, we have these very valuable recordings of, of these people who have passed on. So. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I read on the, the New Letters website that there are 1,300 programs that they're trying to go back and archive all of those. I don't, that, that's a actually, lot of. Yeah, there are more than that, actually. Oh, wow. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's probably over 1,600 now, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Yeah, so that part's really exciting. Yeah, they, that our, our website hasn't been updated in a while, as you can imagine, so. <laughs> sure. So yeah. so how has all of those hours of getting to talk to these writers 
and your own writing background, how has that impacted your writing style or just your enjoyment of reading for leisure? Have you noticed an impact on the way way you approach writing? Well, I don't write enough anymore to really speak as a writer. That's how I feel about it. But as a reader, I would say that this job has definitely impacted me towards poetry. I enjoy looking at words through a poet's mind. Uh, you know, they're so precise and it's yeah. so um, magical when it works well. And, you know, the the other thing I love about poetry is that you may read somebody's work and it just does nothing for you. And then you can come back to it years later and all of a sudden it's like a gate has opened and you get what they're doing. And I think that is almost a mystical thing about poetry. And, you know, you may not understand it all in the beginning and there are some things you can just leave them alone and come back to it and all of a sudden it's there for you. So do you have any recommendations for a listener as a way to to like approach getting into poetry or any other kind of writing that they might start with a specific author or writer uh, or poet? Yeah, I well, and part of this is because I just finished rewrapping Ted Kuzer who it was our U.S. Poet Laureate back in the early 2000s, I think 2004 to 2006. I just really think that his work is a good place to begin. Um, somebody who's come to your library, the Johnson County Public Library, that I always try to recommend people as a beginning place to start is Naomi Shehab Nye. Uh, NYE. She's fabulous. And she's a Palestinian American poet who's easy to access and a wonderful human being. And I, I would highly recommend her as well as a good place to start. And then if you want something that will really make you think, Claudia Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N-E. She wrote Citizen. And then she's got some new work that's come out. And she's very provocative and thoughtful. I mean, her work actually sometimes gives me chill bumps. She's pretty fabulous. I could keep going, but I say, you're going to fill up my whole holds list just with all the recommendations. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to leave people with? I know you, you're still, the show is still airing classic episodes on Sunday mornings on KCUR. At 6.30 a.m., 6.30 a.m. So we're, we're going, and I try to find something that's really relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for sitting down and talking with me today. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks, Charles. And so to end today's program, we're going to have uh, a read of some of the patrons submitted uh, haikus. And so thank you to all of you that submitted haikus. Uh, A reminder that you can go to facebook.com slash Joko Library, and that's where our wonderful Facebook page is, and there's a lot of great information to share, including these haikus. Here's the first one. So many books, 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 and books to read. I didn't count the syllables. Is that a real? Yeah, I didn't either, but I'm going to trust that that was five, seven, five. Here's number two. Goodbye and thank you. And into the return bin, another awaits. Like that one. Here's another one. Uh, This one comes from Lisa. Just one more chapter, then I will go straight to bed. Who am I kidding? (laughs) (laughs) I I relate to that on a very deep level. Uh, Let's see. This one is from Julie, and she writes, Shine, my haiku friend. 
Your poems are inspired, like Inspirobot. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds oh me a little gosh. bit of Stay Golden Pony Boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love all of these. Okay. Um, here's another one. Owl hooting nearby. Is owl one syllable or owl hooting nearby? <laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. Um, and our last one is uh, from Heather, and it goes, One book, two books, three. How many will be on the shelf waiting for me? Aw. Those were also great. Thank yeah. you. To, thank you, Dave, for sharing those and for all the, the patrons who, who sent them in. So, yeah, and I, I, I want to say on, on behalf of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Charles and Jack and Brian and myself, Shannon, thank you for your time with the podcast. We realize not everybody can stick around uh, forever, but thank you for hosting today and your participation. And sadly, we have to say goodbye to Shannon. Yeah. Yep. This is it. But I, you know, thank you so much for for just um, letting me sit in the host seat this month and guiding all of you through uh, this journey of all things poetry. Um, But, you know, what I really want to know is what is the next installment of the monthly saga that is Dave's attempt to find Paul Rudd? We end today's show with another installment of In Search of Paul Rudd. Previously on In Search of Paul Rudd. Give me a number. What's the next lead? I think you've got a call. Five. Hello. Uh, yeah, I was given this number because I was told that you might have some information about Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul. Wait a second. Dad? Yes. <laughs> Dad! Oh my gosh. Uh, I... I'm trying to find Paul Rudd, and my sister gave me this number. You're supposed to be the person who's has a special connection to, to, to Paul Rudd. You're going to break the whole case open. Do, do, do you know Paul Rudd? No, I don't know Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, man. Hmm. Well, you, you know who Paul Rudd is, right? No. No, um, so names. that's all right. You know, most recently he starred as Patrick Mahomes' uh, um, stunt double in a State Farm commercial. Okay. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's been in a bunch of movies and things like that. But um, do you 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 don't have his his phone number? Uh, no. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. You, you don't have his email address? No. Well, thanks anyway. No, yeah, it doesn't look like I can help you. All right. Well, I'll just back to the drawing board. Did You Hear is a production of Johnson County Library in Johnson County, Kansas, USA. Find new episodes each month on our website, jocolibrary.org, and older episodes at jocolibrary.org slash didyouhear. You can subscribe to the Did You Hear podcast from our streaming home, jocolibrary.podbean.com, or search for Joco Library or Did You Hear at your favorite podcast streaming service. 
Also, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jocolibrary, on Twitter at jocolibrary, on Instagram, instagram.com slash jocolibrary, and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash jocolibrary. We'd love to hear from you via email. Write to us at didyouhear at jocolibrary.org. Hear a brand new episode on the first of next month. Thanks for listening.